what my definition of well-read is your reading. You're reading whatever type of book that you feel comfortable reading. And that, in my definition, means that you're well-read. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. When I was a kid, the library was one of my favorite places to go. I remember hot summer days when my mom and my siblings and I would go to our local library. We'd walk through the front doors and I'd get hit with that welcoming blast of air conditioning and familiar book smell. I'd wander through the stacks, running my finger along the spines of books, and I'd just trust my intuition. I'd pick up any book that called out to me that day. Then I'd find a quiet corner and transport myself to a new world. Throughout our lives, many of us seek wisdom from the pages of books. We find new perspectives, new ways of thinking, new questions, and expand our sense of empathy as we feel connected to people and places far from us. So today, we're talking about books and libraries and reading. It's time to introduce today's guest. Tabrisha Jones is creator of the blog Cup of Tea with That Book, Please, which is a title right after my own heart. She's a lifelong New Yorker who lives in the Bronx and holds a master's degree in library science from Long Island University. Tabrisha works as a young adult librarian at a branch of the New York Public Library. Her blog features news and articles related to books and libraries, as well as book reviews and original poetry and prose. I had such a good time talking to Tabrisha about the role of libraries in today's world, what it's like to be a librarian, and some of the books and characters that have shaped her. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do too. Oh, also, just a heads up that you're going to be hearing from Mittens, a cat that I've been watching for the past few weeks. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, when did you fall in love with books? Oh, God. Um, I think it was like, since I was uh, like a toddler, when I was in daycare, they had um, books there. And I basically just hoarded all the books. I didn't want anyone else to have them. <laughs> um, I think it just started then. Um, my mother is a big reader, and she um, encouraged me to do it as well. And I, it just like really skyrocketed from there. I've never, I never go anywhere without a book I just feel lost with that one so even if I'm not well if I have a book I'm always reading it and it's just it's just something I need to have with me always yeah I remember during a tough year of high school for me I brought a paperback copy of Pride and Prejudice in my backpack every single day um as like a security blanket (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I totally get that. That's why I always read Pride and Prejudice at least like once a year because I just need that pick me up yeah. um, like once in a while. And Pride and Prejudice is just that is my go to books. Like if I'm feeling down, even if I'm feeling a little happy, I just I want to return back to an old favorite. 
Maybe we can do a whole episode sometime about Pride and Prejudice, specifically. Oh, my God. You just had – that's – we need to set that. That's just yeah. a definite right there. Did you have a book that was like a security blanket? I mean, not, you you did say you read Pride and Prejudice once a year, but is there a book that you've liter- physically carried around with you just because it makes you feel, I don't know, safe or like you can always turn to it? There were a couple – I would have to say maybe like Nancy, the Nancy Drew books when I was a kid. Um, anytime I go to, yeah, when I go to the library, I would just devour like the entire series. I would just read it all the time. I think that's like when I started loving mysteries because I always wanted to figure out like who's the culprit? Like what's going on? I just always just feel engrossed in mysteries because it just makes your mind think and stuff like that. Yeah. Did someone read to you as a kid? Is that how it started, like, when you were a toddler? Um, yeah, my mom. She read to me. In fact, my mom did read me, like, passages from Pride and Prejudice because when the miniseries, the um, the BBC miniseries came out, I fell in love with it. And when she told me it was a book, I asked her to read me some passages from it. So, um, How old were you then? I mean... I was eight, like around eight, nine. Wow. Yeah, some of the, it was like way over my head, but I I think that was just definitely, I still fell in love with Jane Austen's writing. Even though I couldn't understand most of it, I still fell in love with it. I was like, yes, this is the book for me, definitely. There is definitely <laughs> something about her books that makes you feel like it is this kind of, can picture yourself walking through the gardens or sitting down for tea. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, very comforting <laughs> yes it is yeah we got to do a pride and prejudice episode i know we do <laughs> <laughs> i'm wondering um i'm wondering like as a as a kid obviously you grew up with lots of reading and books what was your relationship mm-hmm. like to libraries did you go to the library a lot as a kid did you oh yes my library card was my best friend yeah. i um there was one right by my house, and my mom, she took me there all the time. Um, she even took me to the ones in Manhattan. Like, there was um, um, a branch called Donnell Library Center, and it was it's where the 53rd Street Library is, right across the street from the MoMA. Um, they had an amazing teen center. And I love their, I love that um, section. They had like a like great selection of teen books. I would always go there and check out so many books. So yeah, libraries, they, they were amazing to me. I always loved going to the library. And did you know from an early age that you would want to work at a library? Um, honestly, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, becoming a librarian, it was um, unpredictable. It just fell in the swoop. I graduated um, after like the economic collapse. Um, I was trying to get into publishing, but that was um, very difficult to get into. So um, someone mentioned, why don't you go for your master's in library science since you love books so much? So that's that's really how it happened, and and I start and when I was doing research um, behind the career and background, I said, "Wow, this is perfect for me." So that's that's why I just went for it. Do you feel like you had a a good idea when you decided to study library science of what that job would look like, or were you surprised by 
what the role is. I feel like I was with the, like the general consensus that being a librarian, you just read at a desk all day. You don't um, do much. And then when you, when you, when I went to um, library school, I realized I was surprised and um, honored to see how much, like what, how much library um, librarians do and what libraries what other things libraries do other than just house books and stuff like that it just it was a bit of a shock and also and a surprise and it was kind of like i was amazed at um at that um at that fact you you worked in special collections for a time right and now you work in young adult yes in um in a public library yeah it's the it's a branch of the new york public library right Mm-hmm. Yes. And what's some uh, what's like a day in the life of a, a young adult New York public uh, librarian? <laughs> it, it varies. Um, so early in the morning, you have to turn on the laptops to make sure that the computers are running um, correctly so patrons can use them. And then we have a reserve list, like if... Like if you put a book on hold at the library, um, and it's not the branch you want, and it's we have to it has to be sent from somewhere else. That's the books that we check in to make sure that that copy gets to the patron. And then, other than that, it like I said, it varies. If I have a program that I'm con- doing that day, I prepare for that program. Whether it, if it's like an art program, I make sure I have enough supplies. Um, a movie program is pretty easy. I just have the DVD and just um, stick it in the DVD player. Um, but most of my day is doing um, collection management. Um, I have, as a young adult librarian, I have to make sure that my collection is up to date. Um, I um, have to withdraw books that are not circulating as much and also order books, n- new books. So um, teens or even adults, because adults check out um, YA books as well, make sure that they that they realize that there are newer books out there and, they're, um, and they are happy to check it out and take it home. I also do book displays to make sure that those books are being checked out. And um, a huge portion of my day is being at the information desk as asking questions with um, from patrons, helping them with any issues that they have. Mostly it, the issues that they have are um, with the computer. So, mm. so yeah, that's basically my day. <laughs> so you probably so you have to be pretty tech savvy, right? Yeah, you do. I get so many questions about um, how to lo- how to print, how to use their phone, their tablet, a computer that they bring from home. So yeah, you have to be really tech savvy. I found that even the the younger kids, even teens, they're having uh, like what is like what is just like common for us, like how to print. They don't know how to use um, Microsoft Word or Microsoft PowerPoint properly. I mean, I mean, a huge majority of my questions do come from the um, from adults and 
and um, elderly people, but there are sometimes I will get some technology questions from teens and kids. Do you ever develop kind of a special bond or connection with any of the patrons who visit frequently? Um, yes, I do. There's some who come in and they talk with me and stuff like that. Um, and there's some teens that I've built a repertoire with them because uh, I always, I, 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 when I was starting out, I would ask them what books that you guys want me to order, and we would, you know, start that discussion. So um, that kind of that relationship has still stayed with. Um, that still continues. It sounds like um, talking to teenagers about what they're reading and finding out from them what you might want to order, like that would be a really an enjoyable part of the job. Is that something that you like? Um, that is the um, enjoyable part of my job because I get to talk about books. I would love to say that it happens a lot. It doesn't. It, it really, it's like a... Um, I would say about 20 to 30% of my job is books. Mm. Um, um, a huge portion of my job is um, doing outreach and programming. Mm -hmm. And then another portion is like technology, dealing with technology questions, doing, um, having to um, conduct technology programs, so stuff like that. I wish um, books was a bigger portion of my job, but unfortunately that is not always um, the case. I feel like that kind of happens no matter where you work. Mm -hmm. For instance, even if, if you worked in publishing, so much of your job would be talking about marketing and promotion and right. like overseeing the logistics of production and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Or even I know for me, I work at a, a poetry organization where we produce a poetry festival and I'm not sitting there reading poetry. I mean, sometimes I am, which is really mm -hmm. nice and fun, but a lot of the time I'm doing you know, office tasks. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause I mean, you have to deal with the logistics part of it. That That's like the huge portion to make sure that, to make sure that it keeps going. You have to make sure like the logistics, the management, every, that is running functionally. And then unfortunately the literature keeps getting pushed aside I saw that there was an article in Forbes recently, <laughs> or published on Forbes' website recently. Um, yes. An op-ed piece, I think, by an, econ an economist who was saying mm -hmm. that we should get rid of local libraries and um, uh, we should just rely on Amazon in order to save taxpayers money. I love how you're laughing already. You're just like, yeah, this was a joke. Um, That's what I did when I read the article. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, oh, man. and it was very quickly taken down off of the website. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But is that something that you kind of hear and get tired of? And this, this notion that libraries aren't as relevant anymore. It's so interesting because also the Pew Research Center put out a uh, survey in 2016 uh -huh. that showed this cat is being so loud. <laughs> 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 She's got to chill. Um, 
the Pew Research Center put out a survey from 2016 that showed that library use is on the rise and that millennials are actually the group that, I guess it was millennials are 18 to 35 um, Mm -hmm. at that time, using the library at the highest rates. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what do you get that assumption thrown at you a lot that libraries are not really relevant anymore and people aren't using them and yeah do you have to deal with yeah um all the time I get that all the time from people from the public even family members (laughs) um (laughs) yeah I when I saw that article I just laughed and laughed (laughs) I'm glad Forbes took that down um it is a common misconception that people don't need libraries anymore. We, we build technology to do so many things and we expect it to do so many things that we feel that, well, why do we need a library anymore? I have my um, Google phone. It could uh, it could do all this stuff. Like, why can't I? Um, I don't need to go to the library to get books. I have Amazon. I just pay um, this subscription fee and I get everything I need. Well, that might be okay for some people, but everything at the library is free. We never ask you for anything, anything in return for any of the services that we provide. And a lot of people don't realize that. Um, like, I like to say, like, books, even though it's readily like accessible, anyone can get it, it is still a luxury. Because it's it really is. Because, I mean, you can probably go along with this with me. Because you go to a bookstore, you see the cost of a paperback now. It's, like, either $15 or $16. And a lot of people can't afford that. Yeah. And yeah, you go to a library, it's for free. So when I see that type of article saying, oh, just go to Amazon, I'm like, no, because Amazon can't do everything for you. They might be nicknamed the everything store, but Amazon is still a business and they still have their limitations. The libraries, they open like the entire world to you. And we don't ask for a hundred dollar or a hundred and twenty one. I don't know how much prime is now um, per month to have access to these things. Everything is um, ready for you to use and it's absolutely for free. Yeah, it seems like it seems very privileged to say that libraries are obsolete when for so many people that's where they have access to books and technology Mm -hmm. and to people who can help them with those things. Exactly. And I see it every day because there are, because people assume that, well, okay, um, everyone should know how to use a computer. Not everyone knows how to properly use a computer especially like with kids and teens they think um that the school is i'm not putting down schools or anything i'm 
I just see that some schools may not have um, have enough time to teach them how to properly search for, well, properly research any information because right. their their first go to is okay. I'm just going to go to Google. I'm like, I even did like a research paper on it in um, in grad school. It's like no, because you can see if you type in all this information into Google, because a lot of people don't realize this, the first five top searches of Google, they paid Google to be mm. in the f- top five. So so you're not, it's no guarantee that that's what you're looking for. It's just the relevant um, search that p- was um, given to the highest bidder. Mm. So um, yeah, people really need to know more about that, how they're researching and how to look up information, information, like proper information. And one surefire way to do that is if you go to a library and you look up the free databases that you can gain access with your library card just going in and it just opens the world to you. Amazon can't do that. It's just, it's a product. It's selling you something. And so, yeah, it's just, there's just no comparison. I can't, yeah, I, when I read that, I could not believe that yeah. he can think, like, Amazon books. <laughs> I've been to Amazon books. A lot of people, it's, it's basically an algorithm store. It's like books that were, like, the bestsellers in your area. And it's books that are um, rated four stars and above, like, that doesn't how is that even compete we have a book we'll have a book if it's rated one star on goodreads we'll still have it amazon won't (laughs) amazon (laughs) books won't so (laughs) so yeah yeah it's interesting what you're saying about you know google um Mm -hmm. there's going to be some conflicts of interest there (laughs) yeah um (laughs) and it seems more relevant than ever to talk about being a critical thinker and being discerning about mm-hmm. I gotta I gotta lock this cat away um, <laughs> she's just licking herself like profusely right now <laughs> like can't, I can't I um, can't okay Mittens, you gotta go okay <laughs> it seems more relevant than ever now to to be careful about where you get your information and to mm-hmm. be discerning about where you're getting your information and to have to be a critical thinker because we mm-hmm. see, you know, how a place like Facebook online can all, all of this literally, I mean, literally fake news articles that got generated during the um, presidential election in 2016. Mm-hmm. That's where people were getting information from. And ideally, like a librarian is is a disinterested party in the sense of a librarian is going to try to give you a wealth of information, right? And, Mm -hmm. and give you a good lens for looking for what you need and finding reputable and legitimate sources. Right. Exactly. That's like spot on because ever, ever since like what with, um, happening with Facebook, I've been, trying to be more aware of what kind of news that I get. I listen to um, more news podcasts. Um, 
I try to go to more. It's it's hard now to find a reliable news source that's not biased or doesn't have an agenda. So I think, yeah, now more than ever, we need to um, make sure that we're disseminating information that is accurate, where um, a person can just make up their own decision without having with real facts, not with fake ones, because whatever decision you make, that's up to you. But we want to make sure that you have um, reliable information. And just one way to do that is to um, get that from the library. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite part of your job? Book displays. Mm. I love creating book displays. Um, it's just it's just fun to see the, <laughs> yeah. to see the um, the work that I put into it. Um, like I recently did a because um, I love um, British crime classics or mm. British like crime fiction. I love Agatha Christie. Yeah, I love her. <laughs> um, what were you, you were going to say something? Oh, this is a total side note, but I read a really interesting article about um, some word analysis that researchers did on Agatha Christie's works and how they have this hypothesis that she had, I think, Alzheimer's because of how her vocabulary kind of shrank um, in her later years. It's really fascinating. Really? Yeah. They did their own yeah, kind of like say- detective work on her, um, the types of words that she used and the amount of words that she used, a, a amount of different words that she used in like her last two novels, maybe. Yeah. Okay. I'll send you, I'll send you a link. It's really interesting. Yeah. But... Yeah. Send me the link. <laughs> I cut um, you off though, but you were, so no, you were it's saying... okay. Um, so yeah, I, um, so I created this play with British crime fiction and, um, I really enjoyed it cause I, um, colored in the Union Jack and, and like made my own like um, Union Jack flag, which is created with the British crime classics. Um, I created on Google Docs. Um, this year, thank you, PBS, The Great American Read, because they did. <laughs> it was, um, we had to put up um, a um, book display for that. And we haven't still have not taken it down because people are still checking out the books on the table. So we've left it like up. We're probably going to leave it up for the entire summer because we were just going to leave it up for um, May. But we saw how well the table was doing. We're like, we're going to give it till August. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, I love creating book displays because it, it gives you a chance to just see what books you have in the collection and what in, um, what you can create from that and I love um, it allows me to use my creativity which I don't get to use it as much on my job so yeah book displays are like a, like the perfect thing to do that for it is always really nice when you have an opportunity to get creative and even to mm-hmm. do something hands-on creative is like it's really fun when you have a chance to do that at your job yeah, it it really is. Yeah. Your mention of the Great American Read got me thinking about how you you wrote a blog post about what it means to be well read. Mhm. Um which I really liked and I was I was wondering if you could 
talk a little bit about what you think the standard definition is of being well-read and what you would say it means to be well-read? Well, what my understanding was like being well-read was um, like reading the classics. I feel like it was just like, um, I'm thinking about like um, all the classics that I've read, like Jane Austen or any, um, it, when a person was well-read, they always like read like literary fiction, philosophy, something that got the mind thinking. And I feel that that term has stuck through centuries. Um, what my definition of well-read is your reading, your reading whatever type of book that you want, um, you feel comfortable reading, whether it is um, like the Karl Marx or Dickens or Twain to um, Daniel Steele or E.L. James or J.K. Rowling. You're, you're reading books and that means you're being well read. And it doesn't matter um, what type of books you are reading. You are reading and that, in my definition, means that you're well read. I love that because also it feels like, <laughs> you know, sometimes what are considered the classics, that can be such a narrow list. There are so many people yeah. who are left out of mm -hmm. the canon because they didn't fit the mold at the time or people didn't see them or their perspective as important. And so when we when we talk about the classics in this exalted way, um, mm -hmm. there's so many great things that are left out of that. And and I think it's really intimidating to people and sometimes yeah. can, can dissuade them from just reading because they think they're not reading the right thing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, it really does. It, it, um, it really doesn't matter because you're, we've like, there are a lot of books that got, that fell through the cracks because it, it wasn't considered important enough, but they were really great. And now I think now they're starting to come back into circulation, but, you know, trickling in because you have to realize when the like Pride and Prejudice, for example, it was like if it was published now, it would probably be considered a romance novel, which was like considered kind of considered back then. It was still it, it was like, you know, it was a chiclet. It right. was a romance. Yeah, it was it was chiclet. Um, so people enjoyed it. It was a novel was considered something entertaining. It wasn't serious. People didn't take them seriously. Um, but now it's considered a classic and you're looked upon better if you read books like that. And I mean, I'm not saying, oh, you don't, I mean, everyone should read Pride and Prejudice even, but don't like focus on because you think it's a book that you're supposed to read think right. of it as a book that you will enjoy because it's entertaining and it's fun and it's not something that's just going to make you look better in other people's um eye right 
I've noticed that as a kid, reading was so intuitive to me. Like I would walk into mm-hmm. the library and I would pick up anything that called to me, like right. whatever that day seemed interesting. And I read so many different types of books about so many different subjects. And mm-hmm. I and I didn't I didn't think about is this considered literature or is this gonna improve my mind in some way or you know I just lost myself in books and I mm-hmm. read and I reread books that I loved which I know that you've right. also talked about rereading and mm-hmm. it's like now as an adult it's like all these other things will enter my mind when I sit down to read like or even when I'm just trying to decide what to read next I start thinking mm-hmm. about you know time and like not not wanting to waste my time so I have to read something that's gonna educate me in some way and you know like I get more distracted and Mm -hmm. I don't just sink into the pleasure of reading yeah and I think we need to like get rid of that stigma there's no being well read doesn't have to mean like like being highbrow and like just like talking about stuff and like philosophical it's just talking about books that you love and and want and pro- and talking about books that you didn't like. It's just talking about books, period, and just discussing this pleasurable activity of reading. I think that a lot of my distraction now when I sit down to read comes from being a lot more addicted to my phone and screens and things like that. Do you do you ever have trouble now focusing your attention or have you always kind of kept that muscle strong (laughs) (laughs) um I used to that's why I um don't read on my tablet Mm. as much because I feel it was so distracting because um when I had um I had a Nook e-reader but I wanted to upgrade to a tablet it got worse because a tablet's a computer it has games um, you can read the news on it. It, it does everything, um, including books. But I feel like I didn't, I wasn't focusing as much on that. And so I had to stop reading from my tablet um, or my phone because I just feel like it was distracting. I mean, I've always preferred physical books. I, I can't beat having a physical book in your hand. But um, I had to take a break from that. But so, um, so, so still reading a physical book in my hand, sometimes I do have the urge, oh, I'm just going to go look at my phone. But then while I'm looking at my phone, I think, why did I need to look at my phone? Yeah. I really didn't need, <laughs> I didn't need to take this out. And I just like click it and then I just put it back into my bag. So I do feel that, like, you know, urge to, like, grab my phone, even with my book in my hand. I have gotten better with it, but it's still a struggle to do. I would so, – I sometimes, like – um, like, when I started, like, when I come home, I turn my phone off mm. completely. Yeah, I tell people, like – if my phone is off, that means I'm home. So message me on Facebook, <laughs> call me on my house phone. Um, so that has worked. Um, but again, it's still a struggle. I think it's just, 
it's a, unfortunately it's a society that we are in today. We are still glued to our phones, and we need and it's like a, a hard habit to break, but we can just do it bit by bit. And I think you can start by not reading books on your phone. I think that's like the first step. Yeah, I feel like living in such a screen heavy and busy and distracted culture right now, there's such an mm-hmm. invi- there's such an invitation for us to really be intentional and mindful about slowing down and noticing oh, I have to carve out some time because it makes me really anxious when I'm when I'm scrolling so much and and then it's like the second that mm-hmm. there's some silence, like the second that I don't know, I'm driving and all of a sudden the the podcast that I downloaded like isn't working anymore and now I'm just in silence. I'm like I'm, I'm like oh god. Oh no. <laughs> I have to sit here with my thoughts. Um I, so <laughs> I understand that completely. I one time I left well a couple of times I left my um Bluetooth headset at work and I was I'm like oh my God, wait, what? No, I, I, <laughs> I have to listen to the pot. What am I yeah. going to do on the butt? <laughs> the panic, the panic so... is so real. Um, <laughs> but I feel like reading is such a great way to kind of remind yourself of what can be so nice about the quiet. And, um, and I just found for myself, like I just had to you know, and I went, I used to be like the biggest bookworm who read all the time. It was so sad to me when I realized a few years ago, like, oh, I haven't read that many books this year, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. It's because um, like I've tried, like last year, I um, I put a goal on Goodreads to read 100 books. I barely, I made it just barely because I was really cutting it down because I was like, no, I am determined to finish this goal and I did I'm proudly to say but I've knocked yeah I knocked it to 70 this year I'm up to 39 so I'm doing pretty good so far but um but yeah just to like we sometimes forget and it's like in our busy life just to like sit down and just relax just taking the silence and just be in that moment we I think I have a hard time doing that yeah I think we all do or a lot of us do (laughs) yeah yeah because I I, we can say oh it's Netflix because Netflix has a lot of stuff and we want to make sure we um do we watch everything oh it's my phone and because I want to be in the know and everything and stuff like that. But I think sometimes we just need to like, you know, turn off the technology sometimes, and just take a break and just sit in that moment and just just be because some I definitely have to do that sometimes, um, especially if I have a hard day after work, because being with people all the time, it yeah. can be draining for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause you're an introvert, right? Oh yes. Oh yeah. So <laughs> yeah, introvert power right yeah. here. <laughs> um, so introverts, we you need to like when you're with people all the time, you dr- get drained. So sometimes I will come home and I won't even turn on the TV. I will just 
sit on my bed or just lay down on my bed and just take in that peaceful moment. And sometimes we just need to do that. We need to slow down and just take in the quiet. Yeah, I've been similar to what to what you were saying about turning your phone off. I'll sometimes mm. um, drive to like a, a nice park or garden and mm-hmm. I'll leave my phone in the car and I'll go for a walk. And um, mm-hmm. and then it's the temptation's not even there. And it's a lot easier when it, when you don't even have the option. It's actually a lot easier to relax into the quiet and focusing on just right. one thing, like just walking or just sitting yeah. there or whatever. Exactly. Because like um, the past few times that I've been to England, my my phone didn't work. I mean, um, it wasn't connected to the data. Um, cause, and Verizon was like, are, are you sure we have these good plans? Like, <laughs> no, I'm good. It was so freeing yeah. not to have to constantly look at my phone all the time. Cause I mean, I just looked at it and say, Oh, it's this time. <laughs> like, okay. Then I just put it back in my phone, not to have, to have it in my phone, um, in my hand all the time. It was just so relaxing and so therapeutic. Yeah. Did you go on any literary travels when you were um, in the UK? Um, Did you visit any um, author's homes or anything like that? Yes. Um, Let's wait, which time? Because I've been to... Oh, yeah, you've been been five times, right? Um, To the UK six times because I went to Scotland in March. Cool. So, yeah. um, So... I have been to a lot of literary um, themes. Uh, most of them have been Jane Austen. Mm-hmm. So I've been to the Jane Austen House Museum mm-hmm. in Chawton. I've been to the Jane Austen Museum in Bath. Um, I went to her grave in Winchester. Mm-hmm. Um, in Scotland... I went to the Writers Museum. Um, I had um, Robert Louis Stevenson. He's the author of um, Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. Um, Sir Walter Scott and Robert Burns. So that's who they um, talked about at the museum. I know there have been other places, but I, for, for, for right now, I can't think of those any. Are, those are pretty good pretty solid ones <laughs> yeah it's, it's probably going to come to me eventually I know there's more um place um literary places but oh but I did go to the house where um it was Lime Park that is where they filmed the um exterior of Pemberley for the BBC um oh, cool. miniseries of Pride and Prejudice so that it's not literary, but it's close to it. Oh, and Chatsworth, because mm. um, Jane Austen at, um, visited there. And they, that's also where they um, filmed the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. So, yeah. You're a true Janeite. <laughs> <laughs> I really am. <laughs> I studied abroad I really in am. London, and I did, I did visit Chawton Cottage and... Um, Winchester, the grave in Winchester, and Bath. 
Um, mm-hmm. but I, but I didn't get to Pemberley. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dream for everyone to get to Pemberley. <laughs> Is there a particular book that, that especially when you were growing up as a kid or a teenager or, or even in college, like that really kind of shaped the way that you looked at yourself or some of your views on the world? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And there's probably a lot of them, but is there anything that just for today sticks out in your mind? I would have to say Jane Eyre. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel when I read Jane Eyre, I, her, um, Jane's like trials and tribulations I feel I felt connected with it and when I was because I read it twice in college for two different classes and discussing it with my class and doing a paper on it it just gave me a different I think it made me more mature Mm. a little bit um just having that understanding and outlook of life and, and, and just, even though you, she had like a hard life, she still tried to keep to her beliefs. And I feel that really, really hit me right there. It was like, I feel like that was my motto for life. Like no matter what, how anyone tries to influence you into changing your decision, always try um, to stick to your beliefs, no matter what. Mm. Don't like fall in line. You don't have to do something that you are not comfortable with doing. And I feel like that really, yeah. So that book, yeah. Thank you for asking that question. I've yeah. never really thought, <laughs> I really never thought of that. Yeah. No, I, I, I love there are really times when I feel like I can think back and especially growing up, I would read something and just think I, I, w- I was able to lean on something that I had read at different moments in my life and really use it as inspiration. And even just something as simple as in Harry Potter, at, I, f- I think it might be the fourth book. I'm not sure. But Hagrid says what's coming will come and we'll just have to meet it when it does at one point. And I feel like for an anxious person, that was um, I would just hear I would just hear Hagrid's voice in my head saying, you know, <laughs> like you need that motto. I feel like that is what books. That's what books do. They that's there's just that one book that you take away um that allows you to take away something um and like it will allow you to carry with you for the rest of your life and that's why it's so important to reread those books that really resonate with like it was just so important to you because sometimes you just like you'll miss something or, and you find a new thing that will inspire you and invigorate you to do something, um, more in life. Yeah. And there's that idea that you, you never read the same book twice because you're a different person, um, the next time that you read it. And so you bring new experience to it. So you might notice things like you said that you missed before 
or Mm -hmm. kind of maybe you'll start to see a certain character in a different light because of something else that you've experienced now so you have Mm -hmm. new perspective yeah because I read um Jane Eyre last year and I was I I just I was overcome with the new ideas that I saw in the book I was like wow I don't remember reading this before. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay. It's like, yeah, this is great. So it's just like you catch those things and you catch new ideas that you can discuss with people that you never thought you would encounter before. Mm-hmm. Is there, have there been any particular moments in your life when you were faced with something and and you thought back to Jane Eyre and you thought of her conviction and it, it kind of inspired it motivated you to stick to your guns or to stick to your convictions? Like if there was like an issue at work dealing either with a coworker or management and they expect me to do something that's not like without, that's not breaking the rules or in any case, I don't know if I am saying it clearly it's not against the rules, but it but you think it kind of goes against the spirit, maybe yeah, of what's exactly. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So in that in 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 that instance, like just not being defiant or stubborn, because I'm all I can always be accommodating. But mm. if it's like something I know for a fact that is against my convictions, mm. and I don't true, my heart's not in it then yeah that's when I like turn back to like Jane Eyre and I'm like okay see she didn't conform she didn't fall in line so I sh- I don't think I should have to do this like I-, I should I don't think I should have to be like this either yeah I think there's something about Jane Eyre that it's so interesting because obviously that book was written in the 19th century but mm-hmm. for a lot of modern girls and women women were still raised to be extremely accommodating and extremely pleasing and to not necessarily know what we want or need because mm-hmm. we're always kind of putting that aside for other people. And Jane Eyre has this totally deep, she has this deep sense of what's right and what's right for her. And even when it's really difficult, she she sticks to her moral compass and she she listens to her intuition. She has this really strong voice inside of her. And mm-hmm. it's really it's really interesting that, you know, that's a book that was written a long time ago. But there's something that I think we can still take from it. Yeah. And I feel like that's like with a lot of um, a lot of books that were published in either the 17th century, 18th century, it's just how it is meant to be, how it, well, not meant to be read, because every book has, it's based on everyone's personal interpretation, um, but how you see it, and how, like, the characteristics of the characters and the personalities, it can still be applied to today, and I think a lot of people forget about that, because they feel like, oh, it's in the past. It deals with ideas that don't apply to us. We're in the 21st century. It's like, no, any book, whatever decade, whatever century it was written, it could still be applied to today because the ideas 
they they might change, but they still don't go away because they can always be applied somewhere. Yeah, because I think books that stand the test of time are books that deal with the human condition and Mm -hmm. questions that humans wrestle with in a timeless way. So like in the case of Jane Eyre, um, you know, there are so many things that are so of it, of its time. Like, like, okay, this is a major spoiler alert for Jane Eyre. So if you haven't read it, <laughs> skip ahead. But, you know, um, Jane Eyre and Mr. Rochester want to get married and can't because it turns out he has this wife, you know. Yeah. That, um, he can't divorce because he couldn't do that at that time, right? Um, yeah. Or I guess, you know, it was complicated, but... Um, nowadays he probably would have just divorced her and, um, or maybe they wouldn't have gotten married in the first place, uh, because marriage is so different now. Um, Mm -hmm. but those are the details, but at the heart of it, basically there's an issue in her relationship and Jane has to decide, is this a deal breaker or not? She really loves him, but there's an external circumstance and she decides, Mm -hmm. you know what, this is like, I do really love you, but this is a deal breaker for me. That's something that Mm -hmm. could be applied to someone who you know, maybe someone is in a relationship with someone who has an addiction and they have to make a choice, right? Is this a deal breaker for me? What is best, like, what is best for me? So that struggle is something that's timeless and human. Exactly. And it's the same thing, like, with um, Pride and Prejudice. Because a lot of the, yeah, maybe um, a lot um, women now don't have to marry, um, for money or anything like that i mean it still happens but they don't have to it's not like a primary thing but the personality like let's say of elizabeth um bennett her feistiness and her wit and her humor it's it still can it's still there it still exists today and also the um condescension um the condescending attitude that she sometimes have Mm. and also mr darcy that i feel can be applied to everyone because we sometimes judge people judge too quickly Mm. before we get to know a person we do that most of the time we just look at the person we're like oh no i don't want (laughs) to get to know you and and there's something about elizabeth ben i remember when i was a teenager and i read um the part where she she learns okay i won't spoil pride and prejudice have it all be more vague now (laughs) yeah (laughs) she when she uh realizes she was really wrong about something and she thinks like until this moment i never knew myself she basically has this moment of Mm -hmm. realizing something unflattering about herself or realizing that she was really wrong and Mm -hmm. you know she had had this very youthful kind of sense of I know everything, you know, like what, how a lot yeah. of teenagers feel or, you know, exactly. young adults feel like they, they've got it all figured out, or at least, you know, mm-hmm. they think they're right. They think they know everything. And so that, I remember that really sticking out to me when I was a teenager of feeling like, right. oh, yeah, I've had those moments where I felt like, oh crap, like I didn't <laughs> even realize this about myself or how wrong I was about something. And now I have to deal with all these feelings I have about how wrong I was and, yeah and and it's like um with emma 
Like, Emma, she would just sometimes blurt out things without even thinking or do things without considering people's feelings. She only thought about herself and how it would make her look good. Her ego. And that is, yeah, and that is still an idea, a concept that still occurs in the 21st century because a lot of people not going to name names of a (laughs) major person who's in charge of a country right now <laughs> um, who blurts things out without really thinking right. so it's yeah so it's like a, it, the ideas that we find in the books that people think are um are outdated people really need to like delve dive right into them and analyze them truly well, not, maybe not spending the time analyzing. Just read them and just read between the lines. Yeah, and spend see. time with them. Get yeah, to know exactly. The characters. Exactly, because you might be surprised. Because a lot of the char- like a lot of the characters, you might find within yourself. Like you might find a connection with those characters. Yeah. You wrote on your blog about how growing up, you didn't really see a lot of books with black girls in them, right? Like. You were right. reading a lot of like Sweet Valley High and Babysitter's Club and Nancy Drew and you loved those books. But then looking mm-hmm. back, you were like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, because when it started, when people were talking about the lack of diversity in the books, I did think it was like, oh, yeah, they weren't. There weren't a lot of books with a lot of black um, girls. I'm glad people are taking notice of that now. I think it's an issue that I try, especially in my um, any book displays I do, I try to, to highlight diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, I like one time I did a book display is like, oh, these are books that have diverse characters in them, either black, Asian, Muslim, um, um, gay, lesbian. I try to highlight all um, all of those in my book displays. However, when I was a kid, I was accused of reading white books. Mm. Um, and I was someone who was black. For me, I, I mean, I always felt bad that I, I thought I was supposed to be reading certain books. I thought I was doing what I love to do. I was reading. I was reading books. I didn't care who, what the color of the author was. Although I do try to go out and read diverse authors, I also still just read. I read, I read books. That's it. I just, I read books. And I think we need to, although we do still need to encourage diversity, I cannot stress that enough. We all sh- also should be, encouraging reading we show we shouldn't like belittle like a child um saying oh you should be reading more i mean you should be reading more books reflecting yourself and whether whatever um color you are but you also should just be reading more and we can't discourage a child from reading more because i think more than ever everyone needs to be reading more no matter what it is yeah they need they need to be reading more so it kind of 
because talking about Jane Eyre, I did recently read an article. I think that's what encouraged me to write that um, blog post about um, my um, my race and um, the type of books I was reading. They were talking about Jane Eyre, about how it was racist and because it dealt with um, the character, well, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> Bertha Mason. <laughs> um, but I was reading a lot of the comments that were saying, oh, yeah, that's why I don't um, encourage them to, um, my students to read those type of books because they lack diversity and stuff like that. It's like, well, that's no surprise because, I mean, we have to think about the time. It's no excuse, but we do have to think about the time period. Right. And you can't just assume that because that like Jane Austen, Charles Dickens, those, the books that you are like disregarding as lack of diversity, they, if they did not exist, we would not have the great contemporary books that we have today that the, the, um, um, like let's say, um, Frederick Douglass or, um, I read a book of poetry, Phyllis Whitley, um, Ida B. Wells, those type of books, they encourage them to write, to, um, not, encourage, not encourage them to write, but to learn how to read mm. and and to, and to be more articulate in their feelings to being orator. That is what encouraged them to do and to make a name for themselves and how we know who they are today. So we can't really just set aside those books and just say oh no they're just lack of diversity and stuff like that we can't do that and I think we're just really hurting ourselves just forgetting about we can't forget our past if we want to learn more about our future Uh, and to understand about the world around you sometimes you have to look back Mm. into that ugly past Mm. to know more about it and also what to learn from it and what not to do because I feel like we're just taking a step back like just focusing on like um like just just setting those things aside and not really taking the time to examine it because those teachers who are saying oh we don't want to put those books on those lists maybe put those books on those lists and have a discussion mm. about the lack of diversity in mm. it because you can probably do a great a student can do a great um, research paper on that so I feel like you're taking away that educational opportunity to that student to open their mind and to do critical thinking because you're afraid to push certain buttons push those buttons because that's what they're doing. That's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to learn here. Yeah. I, I feel like that's a good place to come to a close. Okay. This has been wonderful. Yeah, no, this was a lot of fun. Thank yeah, you. Thank for... you so much for doing this. Thank you. Say hi to Mittens for me. I will. <laughs> <laughs> now she's being quiet. <laughs> Thank you. 
If you liked the episode, I hope that you'll share it and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. Um, It helps people to find the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll join me next time.